and turn to John chapter 2, verse 23. We'll finish the second chapter and begin into the third chapter, the first 13 verses. This is after Jesus had driven the sellers and money changers out of the temple. Remember that last time that he was zealous for his father's house, uh, that he was in fact one who would build the temple uh, in his own body, that they would destroy it and he would build it up or raise it up on the third day, Uh, that he was zealous for his father's house and he would build it, uh, that house being uh, the the church of God. So now let's pick up with John chapter 2, verse 23, unto chapter 3, verse 15. <coughs> now, when he was in, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Let's all say, Amen. Let us pray for God's blessing upon his word. Lord God, we thank you for revealing your will to us. We thank you for revealing your gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ. We pray that you would uh, teach us to uh, honor and to give thanks to you, that we would understand uh, your word and respond to it by faith, to embrace your promises, to act upon it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
<clears throat> so the end of chapter 2 describes the, the setting. Jesus is in Jerusalem. Jesus is uh, there for the Passover feast, and he is teaching and doing signs. And again, those signs are uh, done so that people would believe. Uh, but there's also a degree of... Uh, realizing that not everyone who seems to believe at first uh, truly does, that Jesus understands the, uh, what is in man. Uh, but nevertheless, there is uh, his teaching, there are his signs during the Passover feast. And in particular, there is a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And he comes to Jesus by night. And so it's just the the two of them, to our knowledge, they, they meet at night. It's quiet now, and he has a time to talk to this teacher, this rabbi. Now, who is Nicodemus? Nicodemus was a Pharisee, so that means he was part of that uh, the party of Jews that had a certain approach to teaching. Uh, it also, uh, he was a ruler. Uh, that phrase in this context refers to the fact that he was a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of the Jews, the, the, the supreme court and legislature, if you will, of the Jewish people. I had 70 elders, as well as the high priest, and uh, he was one of them. The Pharisees had a minority in that uh, assembly, but had people there, and he was one of them. So he was a prominent person. We'll find out later that he was also uh, wealthy, uh, he was uh, certainly a teacher in Israel. That's what Jesus calls him in this passage. Uh, and so this, it, it means a lot for him to, to, tell, to call Jesus a rabbi uh, as well. But as we'll see, this person who uh, was a prominent person in the people of Israel uh, had much to learn, had much to learn from Jesus. In this passage where Jesus talks with Nicodemus, uh, we find that you must be born of the Spirit to enter the kingdom of God, and you must believe in the Son of Man to have eternal life. And these things go together, we'll find as well. But you must be born of the Spirit to enter the kingdom of God, and you, you must believe in the Son of Man to have eternal life. These were important truths for Nicodemus to understand. These are important truths for you and I to understand. <clears throat> so first, you must be born of the Spirit to enter the kingdom of God. This first of all means that we, man, women, child, humans, man is barred from the kingdom of God in his present fallen condition. Something has to happen. It can't just be the way man is naturally. Man has sinned against God. Human nature is, is now in rebellion against God. Uh, there is a, uh, a sin, a condemnation hanging over him. And he has been kicked out of the garden. And he cannot enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Uh, there, he is in a, a, in a state of sin and misery, a hostile to God. And cannot get in. So man must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. By nature, we are children of wrath. Uh, by nature, we are dead in sin and trespasses. 
And so we must be made alive, made alive, made new, uh, given a new birth before we can enter the kingdom of God. Notice the phrase to see the kingdom of God and to enter the kingdom of God are both used here to refer to the, the same thing in verses 3 and 5. Um, and to, to see it or to enter it, this must happen. Now, Nicodemus seems to either misunderstand Jesus or really to understand him better, points out this, this sounds uh, difficult. Uh, he, he says, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? If you just take the words at face value, well, how can you be born again? You get born once, right? Can you go back into your mother's womb and get born again? That doesn't sound right. That sounds odd. That sounds like we need to learn more. What does it mean to be born again? Well, it's not simply another birth of the same kind. It's a different birth kind of birth, uh, another birth of a different sort. And this is the the birth that comes from the Holy Spirit, a spiritual birth, the transformation of the person. In fact, the word born again, the Greek word is actually a little ambiguous. It can mean born again, or it can mean born from above. Um, I believe the same word is used when it talks about the curtain's temple being torn from top to bottom or from above. Uh, this is uh, a, probably both meanings are intended. This is a, a second birth, you know, distinct from your first one, but it is also a birth from above. You must be born from God. And that's the phrase used back in chapter 1, that those who believe in Jesus Christ were born not of blood, not of the will of man, not of the flesh, but of God. So man must be born from above. He must be given new birth by the Spirit. That's how Jesus describes it the second time. First he says you must be born again. Then he says you must be born of water and the Spirit. And then again he says you must be born of the Spirit. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so one must be born of the Spirit, born by God's intervention, by his transforming power, to enter the kingdom of God. And so that's helpful because the phrase born again in our culture can kind of be taken almost to mean just kind of this, any dramatic emotional experience, you know, um, that's, uh, it is, it it can almost become something kind of generic that I I had a a new birth that had a, a life transforming moment. And certainly the, new birth is a life-transforming experience, but it's a particular one. It is a new birth from God, from God, in which he gives eternal life to those who are dead in sin, and he implants a likeness to God in those who are born of God. Scripture talks about how we are children of God, or we are made children of God, and it uses two analogies to describe that. When it's talking about our inheritance in the kingdom and and using the language of inheritance, it uses often the analogy of adoption, that we are adopted. We are certainly not um, uh, those who begin in this condition of being children of God. We are adopted as an act of God and given all the rights and privileges of the children of God and have that inheritance given to us. 
but it also, and usually the word son, especially as opposed to child, is used in that context because sons were those who inherited from their fathers. And we are all sons of God. But scripture also talks about us being children by virtue of regeneration, uh, being those who now have God's likeness implanted upon us, that God's seed abides in us, and we cannot go keep on sinning, that we are now to be more and more made like our Father, that this spiritual new birth of God is also uh, that like becoming children of God, that begin as infants that have been born by God's word and now ought to, like infants, long for the milk of the word, that we might grow to maturity as Christians, uh, as children of God. <clears throat> so man must be born from above, from God, uh, not giving our, us um, to, go, to go back in the womb and get a, a new body in, in that sense, but rather to stay the same person, uh, but now have a, uh, a love for God rather than rebellion against him, a likeness to God rather than a likeness to, to, the, to Adam or to the devil, and rather uh, be drawn to him and given eternal life. Now, this life is particularly given by the Spirit. In the Creed, we talk about the Spirit as what? The Lord and as the... What else do we talk about the Spirit being? We talk about the Spirit being the giver of life, the life giver. As, John, as Jesus will say later in John 6, that it is the Spirit that gives life. Uh, he gives us this new life, this new birth. The Spirit regenerates sinners. He washes them. He renews them. And he gives us God's likeness. Now, there's an Old Testament passage that forms the background for what Jesus says here. We read it earlier in Ezekiel chapter 36. <clears throat> Nicodemus should have remembered this. He was a teacher in Israel. But in Ezekiel 36, the word comes to those in Israel who had profaned God's name, who had rebelled against him, who were defiled by their sins, but God said that he would save his people. He would give them a new heart. He would give them a new spirit within them. He would cleanse them from their defilement. and says he, he would wash them clean. Let me go ahead and read part of that passage again. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk on my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Before this new birth, our heart is like a stone. Is a heart that's made out of stone very responsive? It's, it's hard-hearted, right? I can't get more hard-hearted than stone. Uh, we, are, we are rebellious against God. We are defiled by sins. We are dirty. As he says, we should be ashamed and confounded for our ways. Uh, he says, I'm not saving you because you're good. I'm saving you uh, for my own namesake, to glorify my name. But you should loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations, but I'm going to take that away from you. I'm going to give you a new heart, a new spirit. I'll put my spirit within you. And what's the result? Does the spirit make you go crazy and do wild things and 
No, the Spirit causes you to walk in His Word. Writes that law in your heart. Makes that part of your new nature. That now you more and more begin to want to do those things. And so the Spirit is compared to cleansing water. Uh, The Spirit is described as one who gives a new nature, new desires, new will. Ezekiel 37, the next chapter, describes the same thing. Ezekiel is told to speak to a valley of dry bones. There's a valley, and all that is in front of him is a bunch of bones. And do you think preaching to a bunch of bones is going to do much good? It doesn't sound like it's going to do much good. But he goes ahead and preach, and he prophesies. And God says, you know, can these bones live? And he says, oh, Lord God, you know. And he says, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. And as so I prophesied, as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling and the bones came together bone to bone. He begins to describe how these bones become people and they become alive and that's an image to describe how god would regenerate and give new life and new birth to the people who had walked in sin and rebellion initially it was how he would revive and give spiritual life to his people in exile and bring them back to the land but also something that would be fulfilled through jesus christ who would give his spirit to cause uh, his elect to be born Again, And so the Spirit uh, cleanses people of defilement. He renews them. He gives them, as Paul says in Titus, the, the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He makes us new, and he uh, gives us a new beginning. In this text, even, the Spirit is associated with water. That should not be surprising because of Ezekiel's prophecy, that this work of the Spirit is connected with sprinkling you with clean water so that you would be cleansed of uh, uncleanness and defilement uh, from idolatry and and sin. Uh, The Spirit is like water in that he cleanses us from our sin, and renews us. When you get a bath or a shower, or you, you, you wash in water, you, you, you emerge from it, or, or you're sprinkled with it, uh, you feel new, right? You, you get that off, uh, you're refreshed. Well, similar with the Spirit, he makes his people new by removing the stain of sin and the power of sin from them. Now, water is then used in baptism to symbolize this spiritual work. The Spirit does this on the inside, and that's the essential thing. Uh, that's by the water and spirit, uh, or that is the, water, the spirit who works like water, that we are born again. Uh, but uh, we are given the external sign of baptism, the sprinkling with water to, to symbolize and to s- confirm this spiritual work of the Holy Spirit. Baptism and spirit have already been connected in chapter 1. John says, I baptize you with water. But there's coming one who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so that we as ministers like John the Baptist are going to baptize with water. 
uh, in the hopes that, that Jesus also will baptize with the Holy Spirit to give efficacy, uh, to give what is symbolized in that sign. But one must be born again. The Spirit is also compared to wind. The Spirit is also compared to wind and breath. Both in Hebrew and in Greek, there's one word in each language that can be translated spirit, breath, and wind. When you think about it, they're all kind of similar. There's stuff that you can't see, that, that breathes or, or moves. Um, spirit, wind, and breath. And so the spirit, the spirit of God, is, is compared to wind and breath. Like wind and breath, the spirit gives life. Uh, he causes movement. He is invisible. And his work is mysterious, especially because you can't control it. You don't know where it came from. You don't know where it's going. Can you grasp the wind? Can you control the wind? Uh, even your breath just happens. You don't really have to think about it. It just is going and going. God gives breath to, to man. Uh, eventually, it's taken away. You're given it in due time. So the spirit is like wind or breath. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, and you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Can you see the wind? Can you see what is moved by the wind? You can see the tree, right, as it's being blown by the wind. You can see the effects of the Spirit's work in a person. Even though you can't see into their heart and see the Spirit at work, but you can see the faith that it produces, the, the good works that it produces. He gives life. He causes movement. He uh, is like that wind that gives life to that tree as it moves, or, or breath that gives life to a person. So in this way, through this being born of the Spirit, sinners enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom is the realm of God's blessing. It is oh, the, the citizens of the kingdom of God are those who have been born again. Uh, it is not for just anybody. It is the realm of God's blessing under his care in which the righteous dwell. It is the, the flock of the good shepherd. Uh, it is the tree in which the birds come to take refuge. It is uh, the place that we desire to be. It is uh, that order, that restored and new and glorified creation that will come at the regeneration of all things at the end. You know, the new heavens and the new earth for which we await. But the kingdom breaks into history, even now, through, through Christ's redemptive work. Even now, he causes this new life to begin in his people. Even now, he begins to rule and reign in your hearts and manifest that in your, your life, that righteousness and peace and joy which is produced uh, by his word and spirit. Already, we see the kingdom of God. We participate in it. We manifest it as we are born again by the Spirit. Each person in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away, and he is new. And so you must be born of the Spirit to enter the kingdom of God. That's the first point. <clears throat> the second point is that you must believe in the Son of Man to have eternal life. And these things are connected. The Spirit gives life 
by uniting the sinner to Christ, by working faith in them to embrace Christ. We've said that the Spirit is the life giver. Who is the life? Jesus is the life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We'll get to that later in John. Uh, But uh, John 6 will talk about this as well. Life comes from Christ, and it is the Spirit who conveys it to us. It is interesting in this conversation with Nicodemus that the conversation turns from this new birth to then believing in Jesus at the end of the conversation. Uh, Nicodemus still doesn't quite get it. How can these things be? And Jesus answers him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, then how can I believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so, who, is, who has been to heaven? Uh, the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. It's a clear testimony here that he existed before he was born, uh, that he was in heaven, in heavenly glory, before he then became man, became flesh, and dwelt among us. And he tells us heavenly things. But not only that, but he will then, and he was then, lifted up again, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so the, the Spirit gives us life by working faith in us to believe in the Lord Jesus, that we might have eternal life. Uh, the one who believes in Christ has been born of God. Uh, this is what the Spirit produces. In First John, the letter that he wrote, John taught that the one who is born of God, uh, in one place he says that pers- the person who has been born of God believes in Jesus Christ. You know, the person who believes in Jesus Christ has been born of God. That's in chapter 5. In chapter, uh, I think, uh, 2, well, the chapter 2 and chapter 4, I forget which reference is which, but he says the one who loves God's children has been born of God. Another place he says the person who practices righteousness has been born of God. Uh, That these are things that the Spirit produces as he gives a new birth to sinners. They begin to believe in Jesus. They begin to love all the other people that have been born of God, all their siblings, and they also begin to practice righteousness. They begin to look like their father and to walk in his commandments. So those who have been born of God believe in the Lord Jesus, they love one another, and they practice righteousness. And so these things are the work of God. He gives life to the dead. He gives us this new nature. But on your end, what are you to do? Just because it's the work of God doesn't mean that you should not do anything. When Lazarus was told to get out of the tomb. He couldn't give himself life, but he did walk out of the tomb. He he was supposed to answer the call. So likewise, we are to respond by uh, to this message, to this truth, by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The only reason that we'd be able to is because of God. But on our end, what are we to do? What are we to exercise? What must I do to be saved? What must I do to inherit eternal life? It is to believe in the Son of Man, to believe in Jesus Christ. Now, he said that he descended from heaven and that he would be lifted up. What does lifted up refer to? Well, it, it, this phrase will be used a couple times in the Gospel of John. And later on, it's said that it's particularly referring to the manner of death that he would die. When he died, he was lifted up on a cross. But that was not the end of it. He continued to be lifted up in his resurrection and in his ascension so that the crucified Savior is now in heaven on high. And so it's, John kind of portrays it as one movement from being raised up on the cross and then raised up into life and raised up into heaven, that he would be lifted up and all of that for your salvation, that you might be saved, that you might have eternal life. And at the same time, he's comparing Jesus being lifted up to something else being lifted up. In Numbers... It recounts how when the people were in the wilderness and the people were in the desert, people, it was only like the year before they entered the promised land. They were almost there. Uh, But some people began to grumble against God. And God sent a plague of fiery serpents that were venomous and poisonous. And as they bit the people, people started to die. And so God provided a way of salvation as the people repented that there would be a bronze serpent, a statue of a serpent, would be put on a pole and raised up so that anyone who was bit by one of the snakes, if they looked upon that bronze serpent, they would be made well and they would live. And so uh, they didn't have to, to do anything. All they had to do was look at it. And that was the way God had given for them to be saved from death. And so now Jesus is saying, that he would be lifted up on the cross, that whoever would look at him or believe in him, to trust in him, to look to him for salvation, even if they can't see them with their eyes, that they would be saved not just from the death of the body, but from eternal death, that they would have eternal life. They would live forever under the blessing of God, be raised to new life in the age to come, It would be from faith in Jesus Christ that they would have eternal life. And so Jesus is like the bronze serpent in the wilderness that was lifted up by Moses so that we're all who were dying from the serpent venom would look at and be saved. So Jesus was lifted up on the cross that all who believe in him would have eternal life. So in both of these truths, that you must be born of the Spirit to enter the kingdom of God, and that you must believe in the Son of Man to have eternal life, they should encourage each one of us, don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in your natural abilities. You might be strong, or you might be smart, or you might have a good life, but those things won't save you. You might have good parents. You might have... Um, a good understanding of things, you, but rather we should trust in God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that will not help us. Rather, you should not rely on birth or on blood, but to believe in the Lord Jesus. 
and to live the new life in him. We're not okay just the way we are by nature. We need a savior. You need a savior. And so believe in him that you might have life. Secondly, in conclusion, the second po- first point of application is don't trust in the flesh, but trust in God. Secondly, give thanks for the work of the Spirit, that God brings us out of the dust and out of the clay and out of our dying condition into life and giving us a new heart, a new spirit by his grace. Give thanks for the work of the Spirit, this entrance he gives into the kingdom of God. God provides life and salvation, and he pro- provides a way to it. He doesn't just open the doors, but then he also draws us in. And then thirdly, pray that the Spirit might revive the dead and give new life to the new birth to the lost and give believers a greater evidence and assurance of their new birth. Pray that the Spirit would work in accordance with these words, that he would give birth, new birth to those who are lost and dead, and that he would give believers greater evidence and assurance of their new birth. We would say this, and uh, one way to say this is that we pray for revival. Revival refers to giving new life, uh, that this is a work of the Holy Spirit. Usually that word's applied to great outpourings of this on many people, but it's a, a miracle whenever it happens for anyone. We pray that the Spirit would do this work, that the Spirit would be like a mighty wind, that he would move men and women and children to a lively and vigorous exercise of faith and love and obedience, that we would be given this life uh, and given it abundantly, that we would walk in his ways, that we would have a new heart within us, that we would uh, believe in the Lord Jesus and love one another, and practice righteousness in accord with our Father. Let us pray to him. O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise you as our God, the one into whom we were baptized, our, our God, our Savior, who works for our salvation. We pray, Father, that you would send your Spirit to Uh, not only uh, continue the work that you have begun in us, and we do indeed pray that he would uh, direct us and enliven us in the ways of righteousness, that we would speak your word with boldness and testify to it. We pray also, though, that he would uh, bring new birth, a new life, a new nature, a transformation, a a conversion to those who are... uh, who are lost, who are dead, who do not believe in the Lord Jesus. We pray that through the Spirit, your word would be blessed, that it would bring uh, to salvation, bring forth many children for you. We pray that you would glorify your name in this work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.